Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Well, good, everybody. Uh, So we're here today at week four. We're talking about um, what is the most practical way uh, to say what God's given us to say. So we, uh, we're we working off of last week where I gave you that uh, uh, acronym CRAFT, how to craft your message. So this is the second week of that, and you, you have it there. But the, we talked last week about collect and categorize and research and reflect. Um, today is going to talk about apply and arrange. And Ecclesiastes 12.11 says a wise teacher's words spur people to action and emphasize important truths. So that's what we're talking about. How do you use your words to spur people to action and to uh, help them in the most practical way uh, to remember these words? And of course, the other acronyms we'll talk about the next coming weeks is F stands for fashion and flavor and T for trim and tie it all together. Let me just uh, go back to our homework, and especially if you want to to take this class for uh, the credit. So the first assignment was to uh, remember the very first week is uh, how God replaced a lie that you believe in a testimony. So if you wanna do that, this is your week. This is the chance to to write that out, one or two page, and and, uh, next week, Starting next week in our class, we'll have different ones share each time. Um, My next assignment, and I'm very excited about this, I'm actually going to take some time to teach next week. And and, and I want to just really talk about uh, how to give your life message. And I believe that not only do you have a life purpose, but you have a life message. There are certain parts of your testimony that probably have to do with pain you've been through, uh, challenges you've faced, calling that you have, that if you don't teach anything else, you're supposed to teach that for the rest of your life. In fact, you're supposed to teach it even when it feels like, I've said this too many times, why? Because there's special faith connected with your story. When God's done something in your life, as we've said it over and over, Uh, your testimony is a prophecy of somebody else's future. So I'm going to help you. And I'm going to, I just want you to start praying about that one, two, or three. If you were to say in this, just putting this in your mind right now, what is my life message? Now you guys are young, so you have more messages to come. But at this point, uh, if, if you were to stand before the world and give one message, that says, I know God is real and I know God will work in your life. What would your message be? So start thinking about that. And we're going to talk about more specifically how to apply that. Um, today, this is, is, is what I also call becoming and helping others become great appliers of God's word. Um, many people are good commentators, but 
being a great applier. Why is that? Following Jesus is a lifestyle. It's not a theory. It's not a lecture. It is a way of doing life every day. So, for example, if you were teaching someone to be a swimmer, would you say, all right, I'm going to tell you the history of all the great swimmers of the world? That might be interesting, but they probably aren't going to swim that much better. You're going to have to get in the water with them, and you're going to have to talk about specific things that they do or need to do different. And, and so I, this has been the heart of this kind of course so far, because I think it's the hardest part of teaching. You know, someone asks, why is there so much hype? You know, why, why are, a lot of preaching is just, and, and you end up, you feel really good. And uh, you ask, well, what did you learn? I'm not sure, but felt good. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like watching a romantic movie and you're just, all right. And now, what? well, nothing, but anyhow. Um, the point of it is the reason you hear a lot more hype than help is because hype is easier to give than help. Help takes a lot of work. And that's why I'm trying to really train you in that. You have to be very intentional to learn how to really help people. Uh, but that's what God wants us to do. And so I, as I teach, a lot of this is in the book I gave you. I just expand upon it. So if you if you have your book, you can also fill in things, but whatever. Uh, this verse, James, important uh, verse 122 says, do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, you're just fooling yourself. So again, our calling is to make God's word actionable, not just admirable. It's not just that is really good. I believe the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible. Well, yes, but what are you doing? And so um, I say it this way, you know, we're not just giving a beautiful car and say, look how beautiful. Car. No, does the car drive? <laughs> so I don't just want to know if you've got a beautiful faith. I just want to know, is it working? Are you are you different than anybody else at work? <laughs> uh, I, I know you can talk different, great, but are you different? And so that's what we're uh, we're looking for. I really believe this is the difference between developing disciples and believers. There are so many people who I would call believers. They are nominal Christians. What is a nominal Christian? Someone who has religious beliefs, but they don't really live any different. It's in their head but it's not in their life. And many people have Jesus in their heart, but the command of Jesus to teachers is to teach them how to obey. This is our job. And so a disciple, uh, you know, a, a believer may focus on, on what do I know? A believer, a disciple focuses on what do I do? It focuses on disciplines and decisions. What decisions am I making and what disciplines are in my life so that I'm developing those habits to become a new person? This is what Jesus spent the time with his 12 disciples doing, really honing in on their decisions and their disciplines and so forth. Let me just mention, you. many of you may have heard this, uh, but it was so significant to me because my mentor during the 80s and 90s, a lot was 
uh, a man named John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Church movement. And, and he truly uh, started a movement, not only the Vineyard, but they call it the Signs and Wonders movement. But what was so profound, and he shared this testimony many times, he was right off the streets. He didn't know anything about religion. You know, he had never been raised in the church. And when he got saved, he went to a church and, and kept reading about miracles. And, and finally, he goes and asks the pastor, he says, he asks it this way in his kind of street language, when do we get to do the stuff? And uh, the pastor said, well, what are you talking about? What's the stuff? Well, you know, multiply fishes, raise the dead, heal the sick, all the stuff that Jesus did. And uh, the pastor says, oh, oh, no, no, we don't do this stuff. We just believe that it happened. And he stares at the pastor and he says, well, that stinks. When I serve the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Why won't Jesus let me do the stuff? And so that became his conviction that God would use him to heal the sick. And so he started taking risks and he started, you know, come Holy Spirit, who's getting healed now? And, and he missed, you know, for the first six months, nobody got healed. <laughs> Most people got worse, but he, he just said, no, this is the stuff. This is in the Bible. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And eventually incredible miracles happened and, and a whole movement started. I just want you to see the difference between that. Because so many Christians say, well, we believe that it happened in the Bible. Great. But God needs people who have it happen <laughs> in their life today, right? So this is how Jesus taught. He taught application. Luke 10, 37, Jesus told them, go and do like this. That was the story of the Good Samaritan. They, they listened to a sermon and they said, what's the point? Go do it. <laughs> go do it. Uh, Titus says, you must tell them the sort of character which should spring from sound teaching. In other words, don't just hear sound teaching. But what is the character choices that come from that? Application answers two important questions. So what? Now what? <laughs> so what? Now what? Let me just say, this goes back to something in our church that we decided to make a system and that is in our life groups, and we call it Bible application. If you were, you know, what we keep trying to say in our life groups is the same thing. The reason we get together, you heard a message Sunday, right? Now we need all to ask, so what? And now what? You know, in other words, if you come for the next 10 years and you hear uh, 500 messages, but you never get to the so what and now what? You have increased your intelligence, but you haven't increased your obedience. So we always say Christians are taught way beyond their obedience. So what we want to do is to say, let's get together. And often in our transformation tables, I'll use this language. I call it the, uh, the win, lose, and choose. In other words, I want to know this week, where did you win doing what God called it? Where did you just blow it? <laughs> And now what will you choose? Why? Because I'm trying to take it from the theory. And when people become accountable that way, you know, well, this week the sermon was on love. How did you do? You know, I really loved this Ruth person. Awesome. But man, I screamed at my kids. Okay, well, let's pray about that. But this week I choose to let God give me wisdom on how to love my kids. 
Awesome. Let's all agree and stand. Then people begin to change because there is actually discipleship that's taking place. What we want to remember, and I'll come back to this over and over, discipleship is always about a life of progress, not about a life of perfection. So this is always about helping people take the next step. So at the end of the day, they say, I I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> and this week I'm becoming this. Uh, so it has to do, let's start with this. It has to do with how we read our Bible. And a part of what we've taught around here for many years uh, we actually, for many years, gave out this little journal called the Life Application Journal. And some of you have heard me teach on it, but I think it is something that I practiced for many years that had great effect. And what the Life Application Journal is, you read every day something in the Bible, and then we have what's called the SOAP model, S-O-A-P. S stands for scripture. So you write at the top, what's one scripture God's speaking to you as you read so go ahead and write that scripture because you want to meditate on that today. O stands for observation. Uh, what, who is this about? And then A stands for application. How will my life be changed? What will I do? And then the P stands for prayer, which is how do I pray the word so it becomes more part of my life? But always the two big questions, and, and the reason I'm saying this is if you want to be a great applier in the lives of others, you got to be a great applier in the life of yourself. So as you read the Bible every day, if you want to become an effective Bible teacher, every day you're getting better. You're exercising the muscles by how you learn to apply it. The more practical you do that every day. And I'll just shout out here for Lupe because she sends these little uh, devotions and they're incredibly practical. So I know that takes a lot of discipline to say, I read this in the Bible. Here's three things. I mean, that's just so powerful because that's how you become a, a, an effective teacher. One of my favorite uh, examples of an application sermon is Acts 2. And there was two questions when Peter started to preach on the day of Pentecost. What does this mean? <laughs> and so he tells them what it meant that Jesus rose from the dead. What does it mean that the spirit of, is fallen and people are speaking in tongues? So he gives his message. What does this mean? And then they ask the second question, what shall I do? Isn't that great? That's a great sermon right there. Yeah. And so in Acts uh, 2.38, he says, repent, be baptized, and, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes I preach a sermon, and at the end, people are still asking, what does that mean? But... Many times I preach a sermon, they go, oh, I know what that means, but I wasn't clear enough with what shall I do. And that was, you know, the, uh, I think that even when you, and some of you teachers can, but I understand when you go to take education in college, one of the things you learn is your behavioral application. What is the behavioral application? What are the students supposed to be doing different after we talk right now? So it begins by looking for timeless truths. And in your, I'll just refer to this because if you have the uh, Teaching to Change Life booklet, if you don't, I have a copy for you. Uh, he begins to give you lots of questions, people, place, plot, points, principles, 
parallels priorities. So I talked about this last week. Um, you dig into the scripture because you want to know what it says to the people who first heard or experienced that. That's the starting point. I, I think two of the most important questions are, what, what is a belief or value that this is addressing? What's an attitude or action that I see? What is the principle that is there? And what is an action step from this scripture that I'm reading? So all of that is, is the first part. Um, he also gives this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. So he calls it the application window. And I'll just refer to this if you want to go back. But it's, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. And the King James Version says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And, and I think it's so interesting because here we go again. Paul is telling us what the Bible is for <laughs> and what teaching is all about. So he says it's for doctrine, instruction, correction, and reproof. So they always come down to two things, beliefs and behaviors. Beliefs, and we talked about the first week, it's always about two things, beliefs and behaviors, and beliefs become before behavior. So doctrine is what you believe. Instruction and in righteousness is how you behave. Correction is what not to believe, and reproof is what not how not to behave. So it's always that, believe, behave. So you're always looking, what am I supposed to believe and stop believing? And what am I supposed to start behaving and quit behaving in? Now, how do you do this? And I love this, this way of thinking that's in your notebook. And he says, a great way to think of teaching is to be a bridge builder. That you are a bridge between God's timeless, eternal truths and people's present needs. That's just a great way to think of this. You are trying to build a bridge because God has all the answers. People have all the problems. The problem is how do we get God's answers connect with people's problems? You know, well, they need a teacher. They need someone to take it off the high shelf <laughs> And put the cookies down there so they can say, oh, I can get one of those right now. And, and so a lot of ways to say it. We need to go from the Bible text to people's needs, from past revelation to present situations, from implications to personalizations. Uh, help people get from where they are to where God wants to take them. Apply truths that never change to a world that is always changing. I want to just emphasize the two sides of this because I keep saying this and I think it's so important. Some people go way too far on being relevant. You know, in fact, their preaching is more like just a, a nice Ted talk and they, they quote some magazines and they, it's kind of the chicken soup for the soul and you feel good and, you know, and they give you their opinions. To me, that lacks because what people need is an eternal foundation. The other side of it is, here is the eternal truth of God. Here is, if you build your life on this. Now, here's the thing, we've got to connect those two. Because <laughs> some people go to the other extreme, they, they sound like a commentary. Now, I love commentaries, but if I got up Sunday and read a commentary, everyone would fall asleep. 
Is it because it's not true? No, it's all true, but it's, yeah, let me tell you about what the Greek word means. And when, you know, whatever, when Socrates used this Greek word, it meant that. And now the apostle Paul is in this place of the Acropolis and, and people, well, that's wonderful, you know, good, but that's not helping me. So our, our thing is though, what is the eternal truth? And now how does it apply to today? Now, this is so important, why? Because Today's issues are different <laughs> and they're changing all the time, you know, and, and, you know, when I started preaching, I never had to teach people, how do you follow Jesus and go on the internet? Because there was no internet, <laughs> you know, so I never preached a single sermon and mentioned the internet. Uh, in all my early days preaching, I never preached on sexual identity. I never asked him, do you identify more as a trans or a, as a... That would have never, because boys were boys and girls were girls. Now, all of a sudden, you got to say, now I got to apply the Bible truth to a whole new world that, you know, didn't even exist uh, 20 years ago. Now, what a lot of people do is just put your head in the sand and say, I want to preach to what I learned to preach 30 years ago. <laughs> people were all this way, and they were, they were all conservative. Well, that's fine, but you're not going to reach new people for the Lord. So we've got this huge challenge you know, and the only reason I look at the news or whatever, social media, I, I need to ask the questions. What kind of thinking do I have to deconstruct? Because that's if, if, if the average teenager is, is spending 53 hours a week on social media, which is what they tell me, they are being acculturized. They are living in, a, in an echo chamber in a bubble that's telling them all kinds of things. Now, I could pretend like they still live in a world that the only thing they're really hearing is their parents and their teacher at school, but that's not the world they're even living in. So now I got to go into that world, and it's a world in which a world with really God isn't relevant, a world when it's, where you feel ashamed about having any absolute moral values, which you're, you're afraid of being judgy, and all you care about is how much people like you. And I got to say, whoa, if I'm going to apply eternal truth to this world, I'm going to find, have to find new language, new testimonies. I've got to read stuff I don't even like. <laughs> and I got to ask questions that I wish I never had to ask. But that's what God called me to do. He didn't call me to preach to myself. He called me to a dying world. And so I got to go build bridges every day. And, uh, and that's where I need your help because I don't live in that world as much. Uh, but I have to do that in order to be relevant. So we have the faith once delivered to the saints. And then we have the world that's completely different than when that faith was delivered. So bringing those two worlds together. So here's the steps. Number one, always aim for a specific action. Most important question after you've studied the Bible is what specific response am I going to ask for? What do I want people to think, feel, and choose after I give this message? I, I literally believe before you give your talk, you, you want to draw this bullseye. And, and I'll do this tomorrow. I'll talk about the fact that I'm going to talk about the elephant of hopelessness. And, and it's because we're disconnected. And I'm going to specifically ask people to connect with God in two ways <laughs> and to connect with other Christians. 
How do I know if I won or hit the bullseye? Because people will connect. People will, will go back into fellowship that's been, they've been out, so forth and so on. You see what I'm saying? And so um, I like this quote, nothing is dynamic until it becomes specific. It's, it's wonderful if you, you talk all over the place and and uh, and and someone asks, you know, uh, what was the point? I'm not sure. You know, one guy said that a lot of sermons he, he preached were sort of like a Texas Longhorn. There were two there was two points, but a lot of bull in between. I don't know about that, <laughs> but, but uh, we got to get rid of the bull and uh, get to the point. Have you ever been listening to someone and say, what's the point? Please. What's the point? What's the point? <laughs> I hope it's not when you listen to me. But anyhow, so I believe that when you speak, think a little bit like a prosecuting attorney. A prosecuting attorney isn't getting up in front of the jury and just mowing breeze, you know, and all this. He's saying, I, everything I say in this court is to get a conviction and to get a sentence. And so everything I say when I teach today is to lead to people to get it, to make a verdict. I make a new verdict on my life. My verdict is I will forgive <laughs> instead of hate, or I will rejoice in the Lord instead of complain, whatever it is, but you are teaching for a verdict. And, and the more specific and clear you are, uh, the more effective you'll be. I, I just wanted to, this may be a little bit of a detour, but it really, it, it spoke to me. I was studying the book of Romans. I was trying to understand, Paul, give me some examples of your bullseye in which when you preached, what were you going for? And, and I found this great phrase in, in Romans 1.5 to bring about the obedience of the faith. And I love that phrase. What was so interesting as I went a little deeper, he begins with that and he ends with that, Romans 16.25. He says, and so one commentator, Chris Shepard, I love what he said. He says, Paul's aim was to bring people to bow the knee in trusting celebration to Jesus the Lord, both in the start and continuation of the Christian life. Isn't that good? Yeah, yeah. He says, when I'm preaching, I want them to bow the knee and say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and I have the power to do what he wants me to do. And, yeah. and so, man, that's a great target, isn't it? Yeah. And, and what we've said over and over, the object is, is faith that produces obedience. And so we've said it over and over. We don't preach legalism is the idea. Obey so you can say you believe. Obedience of faith is believing so that you naturally have the power to obey. It is about serving God, not for the title of becoming righteous, but from the fact that we know that we are already righteous. We aren't justified by our obedience, but we are victorious because of our obedience that comes from acting on who God says we are in Christ. Yeah. So you see that beautiful thing? Yes. I, I'm, not a, I'm not preaching like a legalist. I'm not saying you guys are messed up people. Now do this and do that. See, that would be obedience. It could be true. You know, read your Bible. But if that doesn't come from faith, you know, I mean, literally, I do know some Christians like to be beat up. I don't know what they're, you know, they take me, come on, beat me, Pastor, whatever. But most people like to be empowered. Yes. Now, I know greater is he that is in me. Therefore, I believe I can resist that temptation. Mm -hmm. So it goes from belief. 
So when I, when I preach, I'm always highlighting the promises and plans of God and wanting people to respond out of that towards obedience. Why? I believe victory in life is obedience. Victory comes when you obey, but the power to obey comes when you believe. <laughs> so what is the grace of God in the path of God to a powerful faith that will result in obedience. That's what I'm always going after. And so I know it's a, it's, it's effective. If at the end, someone said, when I walked in here, I was just so discouraged. I might as well give up. But when I walked out, I knew God is with me. I knew God's promises are powerful. And I knew that I could trust God. And because of that, I know my life will turn around. Yes. I'm not working for good. I'm working from the good that's inside of me. So, so that's number one is where am I trying to take these people? Number two, practically speaking, this means I tell them what, then explain why, and then step-by-step step show them how. So here's how I preach. I tell them what, <laughs> and then I tell them why, and then I say, here's how. One, two, three. Uh, and so that's in any message I preach. I, I say, here's where we're going. <laughs> Do you want to have joy in hard circumstances? Well, you should have joy because you're going to have hard circumstances. Now, here's how you get it. One, two, three. For most people, again, the greatest challenge is always in the application. It's not in the interpretation or the, the understanding. And... I, I liked what Rick Warren, he used to talk about this. As I was a kid, I was always going to church, but I always kept these three initials in my head, YBH, and that stood for yes, but how? You need to be a godly man. Yes, but how? You need to overcome temptation. Yes, but how? You need to lead your people to Jesus. Yes, but how? And, and so, this becomes specific. Like I say, most people, the problem, you know, isn't to understand you should forgive others. <laughs> the problem is, yes, but how? So they don't need me to quote 55 times, forgive everybody. They need me to say, yes, but how? Well, here's lies that you believe that keep you from forgiving. Uh, here is here is a truth from God of how much he loves you. And so if you have love, you know, you know, in other words, you're getting, you, people say, well, stop complaining. Okay. But then I need to make it practical. What are the three main areas that you're tempted to complain? Now I'm making it down to where they live. Oh, I tend to complain about the weather. Okay. Let's talk about that. See, you're always bringing it down to that, uh, to that point. It's not enough to preach. Jesus is the answer. You have to ask, what is the question? <laughs> And how is Jesus the answer to that question? So you're always breaking it down. Even doctrine is really application. You know, I, I love this illustration. When we read about David, you know, defeating Goliath, we think that David defeated Goliath. We would say the message there is be brave. Just go be brave. Well, the first message is believe God is who he says he is. There's a reason David was brave. And he said it when he talked to Goliath. You're at coming at a sword and spear. 
but I serve the everlasting God, the creator, the one who formed everything. He is the one with me right now. See, he had a theology of who God was that empowered him to do what God wanted him to do. So it's all connects the who God is, but always it connects with how uh, you can live. Um, number three, provide practical steps. Again, we said progress, not perfection. And I continue to say this because I think it's so important. Um, here's what I love to tell people. I am not here <laughs> to expect you to be perfect tomorrow, but I am here to help you listen to the Holy Spirit about taking one little step. I believe with all my heart, victory can be defined by one small but consistent step I take in a new direction that will eventually create a whole new habit in my life. So what is one thing? So for example, if I preach to somebody, you should go witness to 50 people this week. They're gonna probably just feel, oh, that's just overwhelming. I can't do this. But what if I say, could you pray for two people every day that don't know Jesus, that they would come to salvation? Yeah. Then that's very simple, you know? So I made it very specific for them. You know, uh, I, Sue Yeager was telling me yesterday, I thought it was a great example. She says she realizes that she had a lot of anxiety because she doesn't wait on the Lord enough. I said, well, what did you do? She says, I set my Apple watch so that every 30 minutes, I get a signal that means breathe and just stop and say, thank you, God. Well, that's pretty practical. You could do that. <laughs> you could stop every once in a while. And, you know, again, you're breaking it down into something that people could do that will bring a rhythm to their life, a discipline to their life that will produce change. Give assignments. And especially as you're teaching, assignments really help. Why do schools have homework? It works. <laughs> why, you know, why do you take tests? It works. If everyone just sat and listened, they probably wouldn't go very far. Uh, so again, what are, what are good assignments? They are smart. S stands, they're specific. They have a date in mind. They're motivational. They're attainable. They're relevant. People see the value of them and they're trackable. I can say I'm making progress uh, to that goal. You know, I, I just define this, and, and this is something I pray, and I think it's been very helpful. I've said this more one time than I've taught. I said, you know what? I, I don't expect any of you to remember everything that I said today. <laughs> I won't remember. You know, tomorrow I'll forget half of what I said. But I believe the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring something to your remembrance that somewhere while you're here, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. Mm -hmm. And if it's just one truth, I don't care if you forget everything else, but this was a great day if you define what God spoke to you and you go do something about it. So before you leave this service or while you're listening, just start saying, God, is that for me? Is that for me? Is that for me? And if you can write down one thing that you say, I think the Holy Spirit convicted me today, or I think the Holy Spirit wanted to encourage me. I think the Holy Spirit led me to go do something this week. Uh, that's the, the most powerful thing. And, and so as you're teaching others, always point to Holy Spirit. Uh, 
you know, I, I've told people, you, you know, you can forget what I say, but if you're open to the Holy Spirit, he won't let you forget. <laughs> uh, I call him the after preacher. I preach, but then he preaches after me and he, his words are much more strong than I were. And if you're open, he may visit you in a dream. He may, you know, whatever, but get that word from Holy Spirit. Um, number, number five is, is to model it, point to how to do it. Uh, and again, break it down, use examples of your own life. And you know what? You can use not just positive examples. You can use your failures <laughs> and you can say, you know, I tried to apply this week and I, I failed really bad, <laughs> but, but what you're doing is you're taking it and you're making a picture and a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying, here's an example. I said this, uh, I think last week, make heroes out of people who do it good. <laughs> Obviously, Old Testament stories are great because you can say the Bible says all those Old Testament stories were given to us to illustrate New Testament truth. So when you tell an Old Testament story, you're saying, here's a case study <laughs> for a New Testament principle. Um, when you make heroes out of people, you know, what, what are you doing? You're you are saying, look at that. Two things that happen. One, it really builds that person up, <laughs> you know. And number two, it it's it's reinforcement. What gets rewarded gets repeated. So you, you begin to say, if you're preaching on whatever, if you're preaching on evangelism, tell about someone in the congregation who shared Jesus with their neighbor, you know. <laughs> and again, it makes it real and it makes it applicable to their life. Ask penetrating questions. And we, I really think this is huge. If you can use tools, even tools like uh, questionnaires, any tools like um, uh, multiple choice, check this off. Why? Because uh, I've said this before, but the most powerful teaching is not what you put in people, but is what you draw out of people. If yeah, go ahead. It's just, uh, I think of that scripture in Proverbs where it says, a wise man will draw it out. Will we, we can give exactly. Proverbs 23, 26, I believe. I just wrote that. You, you and me are on the same page. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. No, beautiful. I, I like it. It's confirmation. That resonated within my soul this week. And so I would, so instead of trying, I, I try to draw the Draw it out. Yeah. Now. By asking questions. By asking questions. And, and it's, it's awesome how the Holy Spirit works. It is. So that verse literally says, uh, the intentions of a man's heart are deep waters, but a person with understanding will draw it out. Proverbs 20, verse 5. Jesus did this all the time. You know, he would say, now who is the neighbor to that, <laughs> that guy beat up? Uh, Peter, who do you say that I am? Uh he would continually ask questions because he knew this. And, and so over and over, he would say things like, were those guys that had the tower fall, were they worse sinners than you? You know, he, he's asking a question because a question makes people go inside. Now, when people go inside, a couple of things happen. One, they, more likely to leave the teaching thinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, number two, they're more likely to talk about it. Some of the greatest 
victories that can happen is if people talk about the sermon on the way home or, or something anytime. Why? Because it's going to create another thought that creates another thought that creates another thought. Um, also, it get, it's more likely the Holy Spirit will start to move in their heart because it's now in their subconscious mind. They're pondering something. So here's some examples. I, I'm thinking of in this sermon about not losing your fire and just talking about, I want to ask you, are you brighter or dimmer than you were when this pandemic started? Are you more in fire for God or did you lose your fire to some degree? Uh, all I'm trying to do is to say, well, well think about this. Uh, if I'm talking about being generous, can, can I say, how generous would you like to be by the end of 2022? See, I'm saying, what if you set a goal instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I should be generous? Well, I'm this generous. Now, what if I was, what if I set another goal? See, I'm going deeper. That's a probing way of thinking. I heard someone once talk about uh, red light, green light, yellow light. What decision are you making in your life? Uh, what is the thing that you're pondering right now? When it comes to what you think God wants you to do, do you feel more of a red light, a yellow light, or a green light? See, and, and all of those questions we do, of course, in life. What we're trying to do is draw something out because that will cause the greatest uh, result when they, when they do that. Um, and then uh, I said, give practical examples and offer people hope is the last one. Uh, Romans 15, 4 is a tremendous verse. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Isn't that interesting? Every scripture in the Bible is given so that you could have hope. None of it was given so you could feel like a slouch or whatever. <laughs> And I just tell pastors all the time, people need hope. And uh, I heard someone describe it this way. Uh, too many preachers get into the ain't it awful sermon style. What sin of the week are we going to talk about? Ain't it awful? What awful thing are we going to talk about? Oh, yeah, that's all. Hey, awful, 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 oh, awful, awful, awful. Amen. Okay. How did you change? <laughs> when you go to the doctor, you don't want his simply a diagnosis. Well, you're over eight, you're overweight, you eat too much sugar, you're not exercising enough, and, and you're probably lazy. That'll be $100, please. I mean, that's not going to help them. You want the doctor to say, hey, here is a solution. Here is a plan. Here is a way. Here's a great strategy for your life. And so we're always trying to leave people with, you know, I could get there from here. When I walked in here, I didn't think I could ever get there from here. I thought it was a dead end for my life. But now I see a way through Jesus, through his word. And then you use testimonies. And that's what testimonies are so powerful. Well, if God did it for them, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Rick Warren talked about a lady and her husband who were $100,000 in credit card debt. But by faith and applying biblical principles, 
over a four-year period of time, they got completely out of debt. So he had them give their testimony and he said, now let me ask a question. Are any of you in $100,000? Probably not. But you were very depressed because you were in whatever, $30,000 debt. But if God can do it for them, <laughs> God can do it for you. See what that is? That's There's hope. Okay, there's hope. There's hope. So at the end of the day, the reason for the scripture is to provide instruction that gives solutions and hope. The uh, So the discussion and the takeaway for today, number one is, as I said, what is one thing that you will apply from this lesson this week? Okay, so let's, I know you can't remember everything I taught. I taught too much stuff, but could you at least do this one thing? Could you say, I'm going to take one takeaway and I'm going to apply it in my life and with someone. So I want you to, when you we discuss here a second, just say what stood out in this message that I think I could take away and what will I actually do about it? You know, so again, just kind of thinking on those terms. And then I, I did want to mention uh, another assignment because I wanted you to help me with my sermon tomorrow. But anyhow, this is just a, a simple uh, assignment. And, uh, and that is the uh, story in 1 Kings 19. And in 1 Kings 19, so in my message, what I'm teaching on is going from, uh, going from hopelessness and burnout to encouragement and, and faith. So the story is, Elijah, you remember, after confronting the prophets of Baal, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs and he falls under the bush and says, God, just kill me. <laughs> I don't, I can't do it anymore. I am. He was totally burnt out. And, uh, and then, you know, the whole process, several things that happened. God says, eat dinner. <laughs> God says, go in the cave. And God lets him hear this small voice. Then God leads him back to his friend, Elisha. And God gives him a new purpose and meaning. And before you know it, Elijah is on fire again. So the question would be, and, and I'll just give you a second to, to look at that when you discuss it. But what is the timeless truth in that chapter? What is something that not only applied to Elijah, but applies to everyone? And you could probably think of more than one. And how do you think this story applies uh, to how people are feeling today and what they're going through? And, uh, and what is one thing that you think they could take away from this passage that if they applied it would make their life better <laughs> in this week? So, uh, could you do those two things? And uh, you got a minute, Shane, I'll talk with you. Yep, sounds good. All right. So you got that? Okay, let's work on those couple of things. And thank you all so much for tuning in. I'm going to end this uh, recording. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. 
May God bless you richly.